0: Well, take your Bible as mentioned and turn to uh, Luke's gospel. We saw last time it's uh, indeed the gospel of certainty. And uh, it, it is, as Dr. Luke, a medical doctor uh, selected by the Lord Himself, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, to write this good news. And it is good news. The news from State College last night, for most of us, was not good news. Some of you watched that in the middle of what looked like a rain that uh, uh, looked like the the Nittany Lions were going to win the thing, and then the whole thing fell apart at the end, and I turned it off in the last seconds thinking, well, maybe a miracle, but uh, I saw the paper headlines this morning, no miracle, no miracle. Certainty of a loss, oh my. Well, the Gospel of Luke is different. Absolutely certain. Don't need to turn it off before the end. It's absolutely historical, this person and work of Jesus that he presents. And I've entitled the message this morning as we look at the second paragraph of this gospel, Always Trust God's Word. Always. You know, Christians, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. And uh, Christians are also known, they're known by a number of titles, right? One of them, they're called believers. Are you a believer? Well, we know what we mean when we say that. Those outside the faith don't hardly know what we're talking about, but we say, are you a believer? Yes, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in faith? Did he die in faith? So that's an old way. They used to ask, that someone die in faith? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Died in faith. Okay? What a sad thing it is, isn't it? When those who are known by the title of believers don't believe God's word. Now, it's more than a conundrum, right? It's uh, more than a paradox. It's absolutely unbelievable that there should be unbelief in the life of a believer. It should never be. And yet... We're still in the body. We still have a sin bent. Even though if you know Christ, you're wonderfully redeemed. We live in a world with, that wants to press us and squeeze us into its way of thinking and living. And there may be at times as we live in the realm of our thinking, that's where you and I live, our bodies just carry out some of our thoughts. Thank the Lord they don't carry out all of our thoughts. What do I mean by that? If you have anger at points, the ex- the end of anger is murder. You just go kill that guy that cuts you off in traffic. Same to you, fella. You know, or you like the end of that. That's why if you have anger, it's the same as murder. Jesus says. So thank the Lord we don't carry out all of our thoughts, but even our thoughts and our thinking in the realm of man, the thinking man, the uh, men, men and women in the realm of our thoughts, uh, we don't always honor honor the Lord in that. And a part of that is, is that we don't always trust God, even as believers. And that's part of the reason Luke writes his gospel of certainty, so that you and I would have a sense of certitude that we would really live according to our nature, the new nature, that is, and, and act upon the very word of God. So that if God said it, I believe it, and really it doesn't matter uh, if you believe it or not, it's certain. It's certain. And so it doesn't matter. You say, well, that settles it for me. No, God said it, and that ought to settle it for you and for me. For here's the thing God always says what he means, and he means what he says. And you can take it to the bank. It's not iffy, it's not 99 and 44, 100%. We hope it happens in this world that falls down to random chance and luck, it always happens. Always, always, always. Better than E.F. Hutton, if he said it, right? Some of you don't know what that is anymore. But if God says it, you can count it. Unlike us, we don't always say what we mean, do we? We should. God always tells the truth, so should we, in his likeness. But we don't always, do we? White lies, whatever that is, right, is all lie. God always tells the truth. He always says what he means, and he means what he says, always. And therefore, the title of the message is Always Trust. Always. I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to see in this second paragraph of Luke's Gospel of Certitude of a godly man who should have, at the biggest moment of his professional life, after years of praying, didn't believe. And Luke holds them up for us as an example in contrast. It may be an example of encouragement. Say, that's me in the text. That's me in the picture. Did you ever, ever do it? Whenever you look at a family picture, they say you always look for yourself first. Does that mean we're selfish? We just want to see if, our, or if we're drooling or our tongue's hanging out. I don't know. But you always sort of look at that first, don't you? You don't look at everyone else and, oh, there's me too, you know? You're in the picture here, and so am I, and it's an example of what we shouldn't be. And so that's where we're headed on this. Now, the story of Jesus in Luke's gospel, strangely, and it is rather strange, doesn't begin with Jesus. As the early church thought back about the events that transpired in the coming of the Lord Jesus, they rightfully went back to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, the introducer, the announcer, the one who would come, the Elijah, announcing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they go. And therefore Luke writes from the very beginning, we saw that last time, of Jesus. And strangely, but not so much, he begins with the story of John the Baptist. Well, always trust God's word. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And we're going to read this as we unfold it uh in in the message well let me let me just say this past week uh, some of you were from Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh area, and the rest of you love the Steelers and you're hoping for a better day and all that kind of thing but g twenty the g twenty was the big day for Pittsburgh, wasn't it we're going to showcase the the uh the three River city, and uh, boy, they tried to spruce it up you you were there they were They were really doing what they could to make uh, put the best face on this city that's been in in kind of a renaissance from the heavy industrial days of making steel. And didn't they make steel? Wow. And to get ready to showcase for the world. And the president's going to visit and all these dignitaries and they're going to deal with the global economy. Oh, we need help with that, don't we? Well, you know, prior to that week, there were, for weeks, advanced teams from these different leaders around the world that were in Pittsburgh. Did you know that? They just The leaders just don't show up at the Pittsburgh International Airport and say, Where, where's this meeting anyway? Where are we meeting? And uh, is there a table there? Do we sit around it? Are you kidding? A lot of preparation, a lot of advanced work, went into the meeting this week. A lot of money was spent. That really helps Pittsburgh, and they need that, right, for the local economy and all that, to get ready for all these highfalutin leaders from the G20 to meet there. They just didn't show up and met and to meet. Well, I'm reminded the day finally arrived uh, when uh, uh, God chose, had chosen to send his promised son to provide salvation for his people. Just like the meeting in Pittsburgh needed, uh, on a different plane, a lot of preparation. Uh, It was essential. So God uh, provides salvation, and in doing so, in the sending of his own son, the, the biggest event of human history, and it was not the landing on the moon, it wasn't Christopher Columbus who sailed the ocean blue in 1492, It was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that would be unfolded as he approached Mount Calvary and did the greatest single work that was ever done. The greatest, where he offered himself as the Lamb of God for the atoning sacrifice for sin. And so a lot of preparation needed to go into this as well. And so God sent John the Baptist, or the baptizer as we know him, to call in preparation this nation of Israel to repentance and to reformation. It was not a high-water spiritual mark of a day for Israel at this time. In fact, it was quite deplorable. It was bad, if anything else. You see, it was a day, we'll talk later, but for 400 years, heaven had remained silent. There had not been one of God's prophet. There had not been one book of the Bible, as we would call it, written for a space of 400 years. And now finally, that uh, silence is broken with heaven, with God sending uh, one of his messengers to speak uh, to the father of John the Baptist, the first time in 400 years. Now to us, that seems like a long time, and certainly For those of us who might live three score and ten or four score, or or maybe a little bit longer, 400 years is a very, very long time. In fact, when we count human history, 400 years would be, go back, it would be 1609. That, my friends, is a long time ago in American history. I'll tell you, we wouldn't be in a nice place like this in the comfort of these beautiful chairs with Electric light bulbs and computers and everything else, uh, we'd be out. Uh, we'd be out uh, in in the woods, in pen's woods, and they didn't even know a pen at that point. Forget uh, a piece of paper and pencil. They didn't know pen. They didn't know anything. That's how long ago it was. The equivalency of that when Malachi closed in in his last chapter, uh, chapter four, four hundred years, and now God is going to speak. And he does so uh, by uh, having John come and do the preparation work, far greater than Pittsburgh this last week, in announcing and introducing the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is no different than uh, any great person who's ever going to make a public appearance. I don't know if you ever thought about it. They just don't meander to a lectern or pulpit or, uh, or stage and begin to speak. They don't do it. They don't do it on all different venues. Uh, Whenever the President of the United States speaks, he doesn't just go up to the lectern. There's always somebody of import that introduces him. And you'll always hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And then he approaches and speaks. He's introduced. It's preparatory for people to get their attention. Perhaps you saw the president speak at the uh, both houses of Congress the other other week, and there's always I love to hear it the the doorman before the president enters uh, uh, what is normally the House of Representative chambers. Somebody uh, knocks, the door's open, and he steps uh, through, and he announces. I think he's the sergeant of arms of the of the House, and he yells he yells out the President of the United States. You see, our friend just doesn't, uh, hey, where's, where's that room again? And they sort of meander down, you know. No. And, and even in the Sports Hall of Fame, Jonathan was recounting to me with such a, a sense of uh, sadness that when Michael J, probably the greatest basketball players ever ever played the game, was uh, inducted recently into the Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, you're able as an inductee to pick the person who will introduce you again. Somebody introduces you, and and Michael chose somebody of a minor figure of yesteryear, and and Jonathan recounted Michael's words were so poorly chosen. So, any of you hear that P- poorly chosen? I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's an athlete of yesteryear that had such glamour and greatness. And then how do you live in the aftermath of that? You know how that, that that is tough. Is it tough not when you peak at such an early age and then you have so many more decades to live? Oh, how difficult that is. I often think of that with the Olympians, you know. They're 18 and 19, some are 16 and they win the gold medal. What in the world do you do for an encore the rest of your life? Don't peak too early, you know, (laughs) Uh, and and so on. There's someone to announce. Well, in a far greater way, that's going to be the role, God's chosen role for John the Baptist, uh, according to prophecy, to announce the coming uh, and to introduce the Lord Jesus at his baptism uh, to the nation of Israel and hence to the world. Well, through these dramatic uh, events, we'll see again how important it is to always, always, always take God at His Word. Uh, the narrative unfolds in three dramatic scenes. They unfold the announcement of John the Baptist, John's birth, reminding us again to always believe God's Word. Let's, let's look at the first scene in verses cha- Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Let me read that, verse 5. And in the time of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Well, here's the... uh, the first scene, and what we find here is uh, an encounter encountering a tragic situation uh, it's a it's an aged, godly couple and the and the crisis for them uh, is that they are without child. Dr. Luke, uh, being the good historian, careful historian that he is, carefully sets his account in the political context. Those of you who have Have spent years studying social studies and history, know that oftentimes it's the dating of the presidents or the kings or the dynasties. And Luke is no different. He does the same thing. And it's almost a foreboding type of introduction in verse 5 when he says, And in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Reminded me as a young boy, my mother was a great reader and would read to us at night. And many of you, that's your occasion. And sometimes uh, she would read a story that uh, was a little scary. It was a dark and dreary night, a dreary day. Jerry mentioned that earlier with the rain. Uh, you knew that in a dark and a dreary night when a story began that way, it was going to be a little bit foreboding, a little bit, uh, a little bit scary. Well, Luke begins that way because uh, he dates the beginning of Jesus' ministry at the time of of this uh, Herod, this, he calls him Herod the King. Well, the times, some of you are more historical than others, Herod the Great reigned from 37 to 4 B.C. He was, uh, and so he's at the end of his reign at this point. Jesus would be born in the latter year or years of his reign before he would die. And Herod, he was, he was something. He was a, one of the decrepit figures of human history, really. Uh, he, was a, he was an oppressor of God's people. He was not a friend uh, of Israel whatsoever. Uh, he had essentially bought his uh, governorship. He wanted to be called king. He wanted to be known as king. He really was not a king. He was a puppet of Rome. If they didn't do what he said, they would remove him. Uh, but uh, he loved the thought of being king. I mean, he was a real nice guy. He killed several of his wives. He killed his children. Uh, he he was, felt that they were a threat, that they might get rid of dad and take over the, the throne, you know, as it were. So uh, he poisoned them and killed them with sword. And Really a nice guy. Probably a guy, you, you had a day off, you probably didn't want to spend it with him. Having said that, he was a great builder. He was a magnificent builder. His projects, you can see them to this day. Those of us who have had the privilege of being in Israel and go to the Temple Mount, you've seen the wailing wall where they stand there at that wall, those enormously large hand hued stones. They're Herodian. Herod's a part of his great retaining wall in in like a pie forming a wall and filling it in and the Temple Mount was uh, developed with the temple. Today it has the, uh, the mosque uh, uh, on top of it, but uh, the Wailing Wall. And you can go to other places and see uh, the building of Herod. And he's known for his aqueducts and his building projects. They were, they were really civil uh, governmental projects uh, to develop uh, the uh, countryside. And he rebuilt the temple. He did it not because he was a godly man, but he did it as a public works project to appease the Jews because really he was a ruthless man, ruthless. He was a forerunner and type of Hitler. You remember, he's the one that heard there was a baby born in Bethlehem, and uh, again, he didn't want any rivals. So he went down and he exterminated all the babies that were under two and under to wipe them out. He wanted no rival for his throne. Well, we meet in this context of a dark and a dreary night, this godly couple, and they were godly. A priest, uh, according to the Old Testament, Levi in its system, a priest and his wife, who are much older now. They're nearing retirement. and They're living in the hill country surrounding uh, the city of Jerusalem, but they're out and about. I would suppose, and I put it on your sheet, they'd be likened today to an old country pastor and his wife, who are distinguished and have distinguished themselves by their godliness and their long faithfulness in serving the Lord in an out in a an about place. Well, this couple they're they're a spiritually except, exceptional, serving during a dark day. They were faithful in a day that was filled with gross infidelity in the worship and service and the love of the Lord. That's uh, that's this couple. But as mentioned, there's a problem. The problem is that uh, this aged couple are childless. It was a dark cloud that hung over them. Now, that's not new. Some of you know your Old Testament better than others, perhaps, and you can easily think of some other Godly people who uh, had the same sort of situation. They were without child. Quickly, you run back to Abraham and to Sarah. And uh, God had promised that uh, his heir and his seed would uh, be almost innumerable, like the stars of of the sky at night. And here he is, an old man. He's 99 and still no natural child. Sarah who 's uh, about ten years younger, and her womb is dried up, and God gives Isaac, who his name is laughter. you know God has to have a sense of humor, and Sarah gave birth, and some of you are aware of Hannah, that godly woman who wept and prayed for a child and uh, the high priest, Eli, thought she was drunk, and here she is crying out to the Lord in the tabernacle. And God visited her with a child, and it was the prophet Samuel, that godly man who turned the hearts of Israel in preparation for their first king. You remember that? So it's not a, it's not an, uh, a story that's altogether unique. The parallel uh, does find itself like waves in the Old Testament as we think to it. But it was a time of suffering for this couple, particularly for uh, blessed uh, uh, Elizabeth. And incidentally, you should know, she also uh, was a Levite. And it was the uniting of two Levites, or priestly families, and it was seen as uh, a great favor of God. It'd be like uh, today, uh, children of the parsonage on both sides. My father's a pastor, my father, and marrying. And in that day, being two, from two priests, it was considered to be the smile and kiss of God upon that union. But the problem was, there was no child. Now, it was a different day than our days. It does not have the stigma today that it did in that ancient day. A couple may not have children today, and, and, and it's, not thought, it's, it's not thought poorly of whatsoever. In that day, it was very different and not only in, there was there a need to provide security, that's where the thought of having sons, so when you're feeble and old and not able to, your sons would have you into their home and your son-in-laws and, and you could eat and, and grow old and die being cared for without left to the elements and whatever else. We didn't have the social systems uh, they didn't have in that day like we know today. In fact, it was worse than that. Some even considered if in that ancient day of Israel you didn't have a child, that you were under discipline of God and that God was not happy and was striking you with punishment. And so this godly couple who had served God faithfully in a little country setting for most of their lives had this dark cloud of no child and the scuttlebutt of the people around that love them but wondered, what is it? What have they done that God would not bless them and give them a child? If you, every woman who has ever wanted a child and has not had one begins to understand, at least in part, what Elizabeth, and to a lesser degree probably her husband, must have suffered. Suffering. Oh, there is suffering in life of all kinds. It's not just physical. It can be the suffering of the heart and the brokenness of the soul. And not just a word on suffering. I have on your sheet. You know, sometimes we suffer because we are the cause. The things that we do bring upon us the consequences of our sin, and we suffer. A man may be unfaithful to his wife, and he he, uh, finds himself as a result having some sort of sin, a transmitted disease, or even worse, the worst would be HIV. And he goes, why, oh why, oh why did I do that? And he suffers, and others suffer, but he suffers directly because of sin. Sometimes sin is very direct like that. There's a reason for that, you know. It's, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. It doesn't matter if you say, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. It's like gravity. You jump off the top of the building, you're going down. And me too, if I did that. Sowing and reaping. What a man or woman sows, they will reap. It's like a farmer putting seed into the ground of your life. That's what's going to come up. It's a spiritual principle that's true to life. Now, some some of the good things that result from from our consequence, and God is able to take that, and we all fail and we've all sinned, is that like sticking your hand in the fire as a kid saying, wonder what that feels like. Ha! Won't do that again. God has a way of teaching us through the pain and the scars and uses that to grow us in holiness for Him. Do you know that? You know, we usually don't go like, that was so much fun, I'll do that. Whatever that is, again, and suffer. No way. We often say, "I'll never, I'll never do that again." Right? We learn that way. It's a pain. Is not pain a great teacher? It is. I find it to be one of the best. You know, I usually don't uh, learn as much in the sunny days. In the pain is when we learn, and so suffering sometimes is a result of what we do. But sometimes. We suffer for doing right. And I just point you again to Daniel and to Joseph in the Bible. They did right. They prayed. They honored the Lord. They're thrown in the lion's den. They're thrown in jail. He didn't uh, uh, philander with Potiphar's wife. You're in jail. And sometimes you may feel that you suffer for doing right, you get passed over in business because you don't play ball with a boss and do all the, what the boys do or what the crowd does and all that so you're passed over. And that's a form of suffering in families that way. Faith and I have felt that even in our family that not all have believed the faith. and We feel that and there's a bit of, of suffering there and you know, third, sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others. We suffer that way. A drunk driver is out and he Kill somebody. I read it almost every week in our paper. It's a, it's a carnage on the highway. A couple driving along and somebody drunk or somebody not paying attention. Don't talk on the... Uh, don't be texting and that stuff when you're driving. I'll read it. They cross the line and head on and kill this. It's a horrible thing. They didn't do anything. they Their suffer and their families because someone else did something they shouldn't have been doing. And we know what that is. We have suffered, and you know that even in our own family, with those kind of things, and so have you. And finally, sometimes we suffer. Here it is, because God wants to be glorified through that suffering. You can't point at it. Uh, Who sinned? Did this man sin, or did his parents? Remember that? The man Born blind? What did Jesus say? None of it. He's blind from birth because of the glory of God. Because up to this moment, he's been that way because I'm going to show you by healing this man who never saw that I am the light of the world for the glory of God. And sometimes we suffer through those reasons. So it's helpful for you to think rightly about suffering. Now let me back up and say in summary, you don't always know why you suffer. Don't think you know, unless you immediately stick your hand in the fire and you're like, I, I think I have a good reason to know why, okay? But, but even that, God is working on multiple levels, and you don't always really know why. And you don't certainly know why in the lives of other people. All right? So be careful, be gentle, be loving with people. Don't assume. Do you Remember Job's friends? <laughs> friends like that. Job, you know, just confess your sin and things will get better. They, they were clueless, and God rebuked them, remember? And so let's be gentle about that. The neighborhood around Elizabeth and Zechariah, they didn't really know why they suffered through childlessness. They didn't know. and God was going to use that to really emphasize, like neon lights, when he sent the answer to their long, lifelong prayer, a baby. It would be for his glory that they suffered, and I'm sure shed tears. And so be very, very careful about that. Well, that's scene one. We're introduced to this couple. It's a dire time. It's not a spiritual high-water mark in the nation of Israel, and yet here's a pocket of godliness in a little country setting, this couple nearing retirement, Zacharias and his dear wife Elizabeth. And God knew the best way to show that John was special was to have him come from a barren womb. Wow. Now let me say, wouldn't that be sort of like the announcement in the paper? Uh, this would really make the headlines. run. you tell me if we'll use Messiah Village. But I, I had Bethany Village by illustration. Wouldn't that be something if they announced the baby was born by one of the residents? Would that be something? Amen, Ron? Have you never seen that, have you? Not of a resident, I mean. I hope not. That would be something. But would that not be an attention getter? I don't want to know the details. Don't tell me. I just <laughs> I've heard stories, so we'll just leave it at that. Well, that's the first scene. Second scene, verses eight to twenty-three, the heart of this. Uh, calling us always to trust God's Word. Next, we witness the announcement of John's arrival. So let's read it, verse 8 and following. Once, when Zechariah's division, his priestly division, was on duty, and he's serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers, were praying outside they were in the temple court courtyard then an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense and when zechariah saw him he was startled and was gripped with fear but the angel said to him do not be afraid zechariah your prayer has been heard your wife elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name john and he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is he, he. is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will be brought back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the Lord, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent by God, let me insert, to speak to you and to tell you this good news. That's the word for gospel. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day has happened because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Well, scene uh, two unfolds. Like this great drama that's presented for us, and we witness the announcement of John's arrival. Well, the least that we can say is this is completely and totally unexpected. You would never have thought that if you didn't already have heard the story in days gone by, or at least leading up to Christmas. It's utterly amazing. God sends His angel Gabriel to Zachariah to announce this. Now, note first of all that Zachariah's division of priests, they were in service at this point when his number was chosen. What does all that mean? Well, you should know that there were thousands of priests in the nation of Israel at this time. And then one man estimates that, that uh, uh, Zachariah's division uh, that was on duty had 18,000 priests in it. Now, the, the priest in that day, since there were 24 divisions of priests, uh, would serve for uh, one day twice a year. And they would rotate all the way through the 24 divisions. And uh, during t- two one-week period of times, Zachariah's division, Abijah's division, would be called to serve. And what that meant is that every day, Two priests would be chosen. One would go in the morning, enter into the temple, the holy place, not the holy of holies. That was for the high priest only on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, but into the the room just before that, the holy place. He would approach the altar of innocent, uh, 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 the 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 beautiful altar, and uh, the essence of the of the flowers, the incense would weft its way up, and it would be symbolic of the prayers of God's people arising before the throne of God. And the priest that was chosen would go in in the morning, and he would pray for the nation, and I'm sure for anything on his heart. And then in the afternoon, around mid-afternoon, the second time of the day, the second priest would go in, and he would do the same thing. The folks would be all out in the courtyard uh, they would be waiting for the priest to come back out, and then he would announce the ironic blessing from, New- from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. You're familiar with that. That's the occasion. That's the day that Luke is writing of. Now it's Zachariah's day, and his lot is chosen. What, what's that mean? That meant there were so many thousands of priests, they could not all go in, so the fairest way to do it, they would be throwing dice or lots. In other words, this is the day that Zachariah won the lottery. It would be It would be the highest point of his professional career. And he would only ever be chosen once because once you were chosen, you could never ever go in again for fairness sake. And it was all downhill after that. And so here he is, and he symbolized the very point and focal uh, point, if you will, of the nation. All eyes are on him at this moment in the afternoon as he's standing before the altar of incense Praying for the nation, and God chooses this point to speak to this priest about his son, referring to his coming son, even the Lord Jesus. It's the greatest day of his professional career. Oh, the providence of God. Do you know that God never said, oh, boy, I didn't know it was going to take place on that day. Boy, lucky you, Zachariah. Again, we see, woven through the warp and woof of Scripture, the very governance of God. He controls all things. He is the sovereign potentate, king of kings, lord of lords. His will usually takes place, not miraculously, it's not with the lightning and and all of that that we see, but through secondary means, like somebody rolling the dice. Snake eyes, Zacharias, you're in. And God works even through the throwing of the dice. Look, it's no accident that you're here, the particulars of your gifts and abilities and skills, all the things of your life as well, by extension, are in God's sweet governance and control. The length of your days, the fact that we live here in this wonderful country and have the privileges we do, The fact that if you know Christ, that God has called you with his calling and election, that's sure. The fact that we're here at grace at this moment, every one of us, is by God's ordination, his foreordination. He's sovereign. He reigns supreme. And here we see it just kind of shine through again in the selection of Zechariah among thousands of others that were passed over. But it was his big day. Don't miss that when you see that. He's priest for a day. You ever hear that? There, there all the old show King for a Day or Queen for a Day. It's an old, old TV show. Some of you remember that, right? Queen for a Day. Faith has that every day. You know? She's Queen for... No? Uh-oh. Priest for a Day. That's what stated the text. I'm safer there. Oh, the providence of God. Well be, Zacharias stood praying. He's at the altar. He's utterly startled now to see an angel. Angel, he's a messenger. This Gabriel uh, is his name. He's next to him that God had sent him after 400 silent years. Now, you can go to many liberal seminaries, many liberal churches, and they'll say, well, uh, we're uh, we're educated we, we know there's no such thing as angels. Come on, let's get a grip. And just total unbelief. And just cut and paste and cut and the Word of God and end up with nothing. It was an angel. Uh, I listened to R.C. this week, and he said when he was in seminary, he did a mathematical study. I thought it was interesting. A study in the New Testament of how often the word angel... Angelos, Los Angeles. Did you know Los Angeles is the city of angels? They're heavenly like out there. Have you noticed that? <laughs> he did a study of the word angels in the New Testament, and surprising it is, the word angel occurs more in the Greek New Testament than the word love, and or the word sin. It's like God is underlining it. They really exist, and I really named them, and I made them, and they're absolutely fabulous creatures. They're not human. They're made immortal, and Gabriel is standing right there. Uh, and it must have been absolutely startling. as right well, these startling, glorious beings that God has made, and someday we shall see them and behold them. And, uh, and here he is. God had sent him. After 400 years, the heavens are open. God is speaking. I mean, it takes us, what, five seconds to go from Malachi to Matthew. And little do we appreciate, that's a 400-year leap. You should never forget that. That'll help you in your Bible study. Wow, he's standing next to him. What does he say in verse 13? <laughs> he tells him, relax, be peaceful. It is terrifying to see such a thing. But his message is, your prayer has been heard. Listen, our God is a God of prayer. This aged man and his wife have been praying for, personally, a child for many, many years. And then as a good and faithful priest, been praying for his country. to Call them back to their Yahweh, their Messiah, their Lord. In anticipation of the coming one for years and years and years. And God had heard every word that they had ever, uh, ever uttered. Listen, God hears you and I when we pray. God desires us to pray more. It's a shame to say that we are more anxious to pray. God is more willing to hear us. I mean, one of the prophets says he catches every one of our teardrops, and he keeps them. What a beautiful way of... Of picturing God's care for us and his knowledge is intimate of us, our heartbreaks, and our sorrows, and our needs. And God hears our prayers. He heard, God has heard your prayer, meaning He's heard it and now He's going to answer it. And God doesn't always answer our prayers when we thought, Zachariah, you know, maybe, maybe He didn't. Pray like he did one day when he was a young virile man hoping to start a family and just urgently crying out to God, not only for his nation, but for his family that he wanted. But bit by bit, as as rigor mortis set in and the wrinkles and the agedness, maybe he remembered it. uh, Lord, we had thought we would have a child. Maybe it wasn't so frequent. But God had heard them all, and now he was going to answer both his personal and his national request God was going to provide his son, but first he would provide a baby who would grow into be John, who would be the preparer and the, the announcer of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God was going to tackle two problems at once, and he doesn't play football, but he was going to tackle a personal problem, a dark cloud, and in that same tackle, he was going to tackle the great need of humanity of the nation Israel for, for sure, this coming servant of the Lord who had been announced from the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, the seed of the woman, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of David, the one greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus was going to be born at God's specific time. It would be through, after the announcement of this one who would come, who would announce the Lord's coming. Well, his son uh, would be the promised one, who would be this forerunner of the Messiah uh, that Ma- Malachi tells us about. And we have that, Malachi 3, uh, in the closing of the Old Testament canon. We, uh, we have it. Were we able to get Malachi 3 in our text? Look at what God said through the Old Prophet. See, I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord. The Lord Almighty. That's Malachi 3. Zechariah knew his Old Testament well enough to know, wait a minute, you're telling me you're going to give us a son. But this is the, the son, the one that Malachi, that we have been waiting for? This one would come in the spirit of Elijah, would be my son? I mean, most of us, when our children are born, don't we have such great dreams for our kids? We want it to be so much better than than what we had. A lot of times they'll say that that's part of the American dream. They want it to be better for them financially and and in every way, right? Don't we dream that way and want the very best? Even if we made boneheaded and stupid decisions and live out the aftermath of that, we want the best for our children. Well, this was going to certainly exceed anything that that Zachariah had ever dreamt in hoping for the best for, for a child, for a son that would be born. He would be the forerunner, the one who was blessed to announce and prepare the people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, wow! Here's the problem, and see, Zechariah, the aged priest, the godly man, the man who was was uh, faithful all those years in the little country pastorate, if you will. When God spoke, he didn't believe him. He didn't believe. He didn't trust the word that came from the very throne room through the A- angel Gabriel. Man, his big moment. It's like the World Series, seventh game, right? Two outs, bottom of the ninth. Three balls and two strikes. Zacharias at the point. It's his big moment. It's his big day. its I mean, it's the hereboot. It doesn't get higher than this. And the man of faith falters. And in that, there's hope for all of us, isn't there? There's hope for me. For we all, at times, God help us. We never should. We should never make provision for it. But he falters and falls, doesn't he? He fails. Zechariah did not believe God's word to him. Look at, look at verse 18. Let's just reread this again. He, Zachariah asking, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, I'm decrepit, you know my wife well she's she is well along in years. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I got this message from God. I've been sent to tell you this, and you don't believe now. you didn't believe. He doubted. He asked for a sign. Now here's the thing. one man wrote, I love this. I think it was uh, Reichkin wrote. He had the right biology, didn't he? He looked at him and he said, her womb is certainly shriveled up and I've got nothing to give. He had the right biology. He gets an A. Good job, Zachariah. A, you got it. You learned all the phylum cordatas and all that stuff I couldn't even pronounce back then, right? A plus. But he failed in his theology class. He Went down the hallway to the next class, Heard that God was great, but forgot about it. So he passed biology, but he failed theology. He forgot that with God, all things are possible. The aged priest. Oh, my. How often in the days to come, he was going to regret failing that exam. He swung and he missed. Oh, my. He doubted. God is able. How ironic He had prayed for this very thing for all those years, and he finally ended doubting whether God could do it. I want to show you a humorous account that is exactly the same type of thing, written by our same author. Go to Acts. I love this in Acts 20. We have Herod. It's very similar. In Acts chapter 20, it's not Herod the Great. It's part of his family. It's one of his sons. Uh, is now king, and uh, he arrests a couple of the uh, apostles. He had had James killed, uh, and, uh, and now he arrests John and Peter and throws them in jail. In, the, in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, there's Herod's, he's mentioned. He had, had him arrested uh, and throws, uh, Jan, as mentioned, John and Peter in jail. And, you know, the church is just a baby church, and they're, and they're fearing they're going to lose these uh, greatly esteemed disciples, now apostles. And so they have a prayer meeting. Uh, in verse 5, Peter's kept in prison. Verse 6, uh, he, uh, Herod's bringing him to trial, and, you know, he's in chains and all that. An angel visits. You know, there's a prayer meeting going on. The church meets and prays. Where is this? Let me, let me look at verse 12. While Peter's in, in prison, or so they're thinking, uh, many people had gathered and were praying. The angel, in the verses just prior, miraculously come and release Peter from, from prison. And here are the saints, you know, they're meeting at Grace Community. Oh, Lord, you know how much we need Peter He's, uh, he's your preacher. He's, uh, he's an apostle, and we need him to teach us and to train us. And, oh, oh God, please. And it probably went on for a long time. And Peter <laughs> makes his way to the house where they're having the prayer meeting. And he's standing outside. The door is locked for obvious reasons in case they wanted to arrest some more. Knocking on the door. And Rhoda, the household servant, comes to the door Right? And who's there? And Peter says, Peter, I'm petros open the door. And uh, she runs. Uh, she doesn't open the door in her excitement. Runs back inside. Interrupts the prayer gathering of the, of the church. Peter's outside. They don't believe her. They don't believe. in the house of faith. And look at verse 15. You're out of your mind, they said to her. <laughs> is, it, is it any different than Zachariah? Is it any different than us? We pray and pray and pray and wait and the years pass and sometimes we get discouraged and we stop and we wonder, want- Is God ever going to answer this? I had that in my own family with my father. I thought I would never see or hear of my father Uh, being in faith it was a prayer of my life prayed and prayed and prayed and finally after he died i heard the story of just that week that my father had put a simple faith in the lord jesus i never had a chance to talk to him about it but i embrace it and i hold it and i want to believe in every ounce of me that it was genuine and that god answered it not in a way i ever thought he would the last sunday night he would ever leave my father expressed through a verbal prayer out loud, uh, a receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. And here's Zachariah. You know, the prayer of his life. Like those praying for Peter, God answers. They didn't believe it. They, No way. You're out of your mind. Wow. We, like uh, Zachariah and like those praying for Peter, We often look at things from a mere human perspective, don't we? From what we can see and what we can figure out. And God is able and able to work on so many planes far beyond us. For with God, all things are possible. Well, God ends up disciplining Zechariah quickly as we come to an end here. he, He is not able to speak. Uh, until the great day takes place. You see, he leaves the temple. He's disciplined because of his unbelief. He goes outside, and he's really delayed in getting out. People were afraid something happened to him. And when he comes out in the outer court, and there's hundreds and maybe thousands of them waiting for Peter to pronounce the ironic blessing upon him, couldn't speak, another priest had to do it. And then he quickly makes his way home to that little countryside to his cottage where Elizabeth has been waiting for him. And I say to you, how tragic for him. How tragic to receive the greatest news, at least of his day, and never be able to share it with anybody. Have you ever gotten a really good secret? You knew something was going to happen. You guys tricked me the other week and months of something going on little did i know that was pretty big right and nobody spilled the beans except my little granddaughter bless her heart she did the little taylor did i tell you this i taught sarah had told her a couple of days before taylor we're going to go see grandpa uh, or papa she calls me papa we're going to go see papa and it was just a passing comment sarah said and then uh, several days later i'm on the phone for less than a minute with little taylor and in the midst of it, Sarah standing there and says, Papa, I'm coming to your house. And I said, oh, that's nice, Taylor. Oh, that'd be so nice. And Sarah quickly grabs the phone there, you know. <laughs> She's trying to tip me off. She knew about it, and she let it out. And, uh, of course, I was completely clueless as to what she was referring to. I said, th- yeah, someday you'll come to Papa's house, you know. But you uh, but let it out. And, you know, sometimes you get some big news there, and you can't tell it. Here's Zachariah, the poor guy, because of his own unbelief. You know, the, the forerunner's coming. That means the Christ is coming, and that means it's my own son, and it he can't open up. He can't even let it fly. It's like the Bills winning the Super Bowl and the, not me not being able to say anything about it. That would be a horrible thing, you know? I mean, the Steelers win every other year. That's not even good. That's not even new news, right? But if the Bills could ever pull that thing off, wow, hope I would not have laryngitis. How about that? Poor guy, he couldn't even repeat it. And as always, and as always, all of this would take place just as God said. The angel said, you're not going to speak until, here's the terminal point, Everything that I've just told you comes about. And it did, you know that? You didn't have to wonder. I wonder if it's a boy or a girl. No, just by blue, it's a boy. God said it. And it will all come about, just as God said. God always says what he means, and he means what he says. Well, that's the second scene. Wow. Witness of an announcement of John John's. What a birth announcement that was. Wow. We, as I said many times, we always send out the announcements after, right? The baby comes, Here is before. Well, there's a last scene, and we'll just go through this fast. It's only two verses. The last scene of this sermon calling you and I always to trust God's Word. Finally, this baby is conceived in Elizabeth's womb. Look at 20, 20 back it up to 23. And when his time of service was completed... That was a week. He returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. There's a lot involved in that little phrase there, as you can imagine. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. And the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away. There's the disgrace of that ancient day. My shame, my disgrace of being barren among the people. A baby is conceived. Well, the silent Zechariah hastens home. and you know, Like a good pastor recounts to his dear wife all the things that transpired there. Now, he couldn't speak to her, and so it's, uh, it's thought, I think rightfully so, that he wrote it out for her. You know, the Jews, they were, they were uh, literate. They trained in the schools of the synagogue how to read and write, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, that was very, very important for them. And so he wrote out for his dear wife, and it's surmised that way because in verse 60 of this chapter, when the baby, we'll see later, eventually is born, they, the people want to, the father named the baby in that day. He will be called. John couldn't speak, and they wanted the crowd to say, well, call him Zachariah. That's the dad's name, right? Call him Junior. And finally, Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, his name will be John. Well, how did she know that? She only knew that because Zechariah had to somehow, probably through writing, communicate all that took place there in the temple that day. And she knew that his name through Gabriel was going to be called John. Well, what a contrast to her husband. Elizabeth believes God's word. Wow. Wow. What a blessed man it is to have a godly wife. I have that. Faith is such a godly wife, an encouragement to me. And many of you have that, you know. And we rise up and we bless our godly wives. Here he is, a busy priest, a godly wife, serving the Lord. And at a point where his faith faltered. Hers, hers was strong. How do I know that? She had to submit it. We're going to do what? Are going Are you kidding? And all that now, well, I'm not going to say anything. You just use your imagination at that at the retirement village. (laughs) And God's not squeamish about that. We, We get a little, oh, what's he saying? It's in the text. God isn't squeamish about that. And out of that which was really death, came to life and conceived a child to the glory of God. And all the way through, she praises God and honors him, this woman of faith, this Elizabeth. And finally, she acknowledges that God has answered her prayer, and she glorifies God by giving him thanks, for her disgrace is now removed. And she's utterly content, isn't she? And she's filled with joy, for God has worked. God is teaching Zechariah and us again, us. Don't miss it. Always trust Him. Always believe His Word. Always, always. We're believers. It ought to be second nature. God said it. That settles it. I believe it and, and act upon it. Always trust His Word. Never, never doubt it. Oh, you'll be tempted. Satan will want to rob that. Did God say you should not eat? I mean, he's good at that. Don't fall for that. Well, lessons for our life, number one. As believers, and here it is in the lessons, I'll say it one more time, we are always to trust God's Word. If He said it, it settles it. Always. Would God be true in every man a liar? It is the Word of God. And no matter what subject God speaks on, some go through and they try and strip the Bible of various disciplines. Well, God, it's not a history book. It's not a science text. Right, listen, God is the great scientist. He's the great historian. He's he is the great artist. He's the great mathematician. Wherever he speaks, it's 100%. And God has preserved his word. One of the great treasures of our day is to have a copy of his word in our own language, it's the greatest treasure for a people. Always trust it. Number two, number two, be encouraged. as uh, f- For as in that day, so today. God's program is right on schedule. He's not behind. We run behind a lot, don't we? We're wondering, well, is pastor going to finish on time? We've got a lot to do today, right? Or in your daily schedule. Oh, man, I'm, I need an extra... Could I have 28 hours this day? I need extra hours. I'm running behind. God is always right on time. Do you notice uh, it wasn't the day after that the other priest was chosen. It was Zechariah on that day in that temple. And it's indicative of God's schedule and program right on time. And take comfort in that. I do. I really do. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, David wrote. I find great comfort, and so should you. Okay, number three. Third lesson: God is sovereign. And he usually works through providence. Normal actions of life and the world that bring about his purpose. He can reach through, break through at any time, like opening a womb that's been aged and decrepit, and an old man and allowing to give seed for conception. That was miraculous. But God normally works through the roll of the die. Zechariah, you're up. You won the lottery. And the same thing's true in our life. Through secondary normal events, God works and controls behind and around all of those scenes that bring about his purpose. God is sovereign. Rest in that. Number four. Always pray. The angel's message, God has heard your prayer. Sometimes we wonder when we pray, it's not getting above the ceiling. Maybe I'll open the sky window or something. It'll it'll float up. God always hears your prayers and mine. He invites us to pray. Ask, knock, seek. There's an an increase in the intensity when we do that. God is our Father. He delights in showing us how strong Have your prayer books. If you don't have one, get one. Start. Make your prayers measurable. They should be. You never know if God answers it if you don't write measurable prayer requests. God is glorified in that. When you ask of him great things, Pray, never give up. Pray for your loved one, cover them. Pray for your work, your accounts, your businesses. Pray for the work of the Lord, the ministry of of our church and our missions and and, and the requests that come in. Pray that way for the sick and, and those that are downcast and brokenhearted and need that. Pray for God's encouragement. Pray that way. Be people of prayer. Be that way. Zachariah was. God has heard your prayer. And God has answered. It was the day of answering. It was the day of answering. I didn't emphasize, I do, I'll say at this point, God's answers to our prayers sometimes come at surprising times, don't they? And they come in surprising places. And they come in surprising ways. True for Zachariah and true for us. And number five and last, let me urge you today, if you have never received Christ, the Lord is your Savior. You must be born again. It's a command of the scriptures to receive Christ and be saved. Young or old, you must put your faith in Christ. You must confess, I'm a sinner, lost. Thank you for coming, Lord Jesus, and dying in my place. Isaiah said, through those stripes, you and I are healed. Receive Christ. Anything I can do to help you with that today, I'm here want to see each one of you in heaven must, means you must come to faith in Christ first to be a believer. Well, Pittsburgh, that was a red-letter day for them last week, this past week. they long talk about when the G20 came to town, <clears throat> all the preparation to int- and all of that to have the government leaders come. Well, far important. Would be the introduction and the preparation needed for the coming of God-made flesh, the planet Earth, far greater than astronauts going to the moon would be the incarnate Son of God, feet standing on planet Earth. And John, Zachariah's son, in his old age, would be the one who would herald this forth and announce the coming of the Lord Jesus. May you and I, as we leave this place and go this week, also be announcers. Not that he's coming like that first time, but he came once. And he's a God of love, and he invites all people everywhere to himself to be saved. That's what you and I do is we scatter, and we're going to do that in a minute. People need the, need the Lord, and they need you and I to be salt and light and to announce what God did back there. For one day soon, Christ is going to come again. Always, always trust God's Word.